Yes, I think so, Mark. Brother, it's good okay. to hear. Good to hear your voice. How are you doing down in? Are we? Am I saying sunny Cape Town this morning? Sunny, beautiful, glorious. Why would anybody not want oh, to go to Cape now Town? You, now you're just bragging. <laughs> <laughs> you just took it too far. You didn't have to go there. <laughs> so, Michael, uh, yeah, um, you and I engaged uh, just before the show uh, regarding some of the things, some of the pressing uh, issues that uh, that 4SA is leading on at the moment. Uh, do you want to just uh, uh, begin the conversation regarding that? Yes, we actually, yesterday we were... Uh, finalizing an affidavit to join a case as an amicus curie. An amicus curie is a friend of the court. In other words, you're not the principal person in the case, but you believe that you can add something of value that will really help the judge come to the right uh, decision in the case. And of course, with our expertise in freedom of religion, law and rights particularly, this is a very important case for us. And the case uh, concerned is taking place in the Equality Court in the Johannesburg High Court. And it concerns a private Christian school called Christian Life Private School. And very important to say, I think, that this is a private school. So this principle would not apply um, to, or there would be a different outcome if it was, say, a public school. Um, but this is a private school in Johannesburg. And they obviously have a Christian belief, Christian ethos. And anybody who comes to the school, whether you're a parent or uh, whether you're a teacher, they understand they sign a contractual relationship with the school uh, to obviously subscribe to its Christian ethos. And in this particular case, a, a parents of a boy uh, went away for the weekend and they there's a ceremony, um, which is a traditional customary ceremony uh, connected with sort of ancestors, where the young boy, who was in this case nine years old, uh, wears a, a, something called an isipantla, which is a goatskin bracelet, which is sort of connection with the ancestors. And as part of the fact that that ceremony has taken place, uh, the boy wears the bracelet and must continue to wear it until it actually falls off of its own accord. Now, of course, when he came back to school and the bracelet was seen, uh, then the teachers asked him about this. And there is also, incidentally, a no jewellery policy in the school as well. And when they discovered that uh, this was an Isipantla, they then asked the, the boy or the parents to uh, take the boy home until the Isipantla fell off. And then they said, actually, no, let's change that. And so, so there was definitely some procedural irregularity. But the issue here is, of course, um, the clash, if you like, between you know, cultural rights and, and religious rights. And the boy's parents opened up this case for unfair discrimination on the grounds of, of the culture against the school, claiming, among other things, um, 300,000 rands worth of damages for the impairment of their son's dignity and emotional and psychological distress. So this is a very interesting case, of course, because if the case goes against the school, then the question is, what is the value of having an independent faith-based school, or perhaps even an independent association of any sort. Um, you know, if, if you can come into an association knowing and understanding what it actually stands for and what you're actually signing up for, then do you have the right, uh, based upon, in this instance, your cultural beliefs, um, that you can then ask them to change? You know, on the one hand, if you think of a, a maybe a, an easy parallel to understand was supposing you and I, uh, you, you, you're running a vegan club and I join your vegan club. And the next week I come along with a fillet steak and say, I'd, I'd actually last, like you to accommodate my, you know, um, 
eating habits, perhaps, because uh, I like fillet steak. Well, you know, should I be allowed to say to you, now you have to change the rules, which I agreed to when I signed up, and now accommodate this particular uh, belief or maybe tradition of mine? So it, it's going to be an interesting case, Mark. I, I mean, as you were talking, being a pastor of a church, immediately I thought about the organization that I'm in. Uh, we have policies, we have statements of faith, uh, we specify very specifically what binds us together, what holds us together, and what would maybe separate us from the world in terms of you know belief and those kinds of things. Uh, and, and then just thinking through a person who might join and then you know, uh, post joining, decide that they differ or, or maybe change their position on on any matter of policy uh, or, or 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 belief, and just the complications that that would create if there was absolutely no recourse from the organisation to say, but hang on, you joined knowing that these were the conditions, that these were the criteria. Yeah, and that's of course a very interesting. Um, point you've raised there, because in this particular case, the parents claim, of course, that they themselves hold to Christian beliefs and values, mm. uh, but they claim further that as a, a Zulu family, they also hold to the uh, cultural practice of Isipantla, which they allege, and I'm quoting, is in no way a sign of worshipping or praising ancestors, but a rite of passage and a symbol of acknowledgement of our ancestors. So they're basically saying that the school uh, should have reasonably accommodated the wearing of the isipantla and to argue that this would not have imposed an undue burden on the school and therefore the school would be allowed to refuse to allow it would amount for unfair discrimination mm. on the grounds of culture so that's their position Man, um, but so of course the school argues that you know even though the parent the parents uh, purport to make out that this isipanto is a cultural practice the roots and foundation of it are in fact religious and they counter-argue that the cultural and religious intermingled belief in ancestors in any form or sacrifice to communication with or appeasement or protection from ancestors mm. is diametrically opposite to the scriptures as contained in the Bible uh, and forbidden by the Bible. And so therefore they cannot accommodate a practice which goes directly against their own beliefs. So that is the, if you like, the, 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 the lines that have been drawn in mm. this case. And, and, and I think the implication or the, the, the significance of it uh, is that, of course, the parents did contract with the school that they would be bound by it. And in that sense, they're now trying to get a variation, which they think is reasonable. Um, but at the same time, if you think about the other people who send their children to the school, they send their children to the school because it has a Christian ethos. And therefore, really, the question is, you know, can maybe the one percent the, the uh, come in and force the accommodation of their particular beliefs and practices, even if that violates the beliefs of, of the 99%. I mean, that would surely completely defeat the purpose of having independent faith-based schools at all, or maybe if it's extrapolated further, any form of uh, you know association that has, in, in some cases, which would be seen as, yes, discriminatory laws. But bear in mind, Mark, there's a big difference between discrimination and unfair discrimination. You are allowed to discriminate. I mean, a, you know, a, 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 any club with its rules will be discriminating against those who don't actually want to be part of the club because they don't want to be bound by those rules. Mm. But it's not unfair. It's just part of our society and how we function. And it, it, is, it is a reasonable accommodation of the beliefs that different people have and their right to form these associations. You know, Michael, even as you're talking, I, I realize that 
that this particular case actually has immense interest um, for myself. Uh, I serve a church which is which represents the the rainbow nation. You could say uh, we we maybe are forty or fifty percent. Uh, 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 white we are uh, every color of the rainbow with the uh, and in actual fact uh, who, who knows how the split works I, I haven't really um sat down and worked it out with the pencil <laughs> recently but as a result um w- there is immense interest in what is cultural what is religious where can we exercise our christianity without having to forgo our culture and where can we celebrate our culture what parts of our culture whether we have western culture or African culture really do we need to say goodbye to when we say hello to Jesus Christ Uh, and so a a case like this I'm sure puts all of those kinds of questions into sharp focus and will give us an opportunity to work through a number of these issues um, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes and uh, and and how the court um, (laughs) how the court unravels this particular ball of yarn well, you know, the particular interest is that the, the court must deal with the parents' claim that it's in Pantera as a cultural practice, as opposed to the school's claim that it's essentially a religious or maybe both religious and cultural practice. Mm, mm. Uh, and I think it's important because if it is solely a cultural practice, then it may be more difficult for the school to show why that practice can't be accommodated. But if, of course, it's a religious practice and the school can show that it's contradictory to its religious beliefs, which, of course, as I said, are indispensable to the school's identity and its reason for existence in the first place, then it'll be easier for the school to defend its decision. Um, It's interesting, though, in in the public school, it might be very different because there was a case in KZN uh, called the Palais case where a young uh, Hindu girl had gone through a coming of age ceremony and had a small stud in her nose. And the school said, well, there's a jewellery policy. You're not allowed to wear it. And there um, the constitutional court said that actually, no, that could be reasonably accommodated. But bear in mind, that is a public school context Mm, and mm. public schools are public assets. And the Oh God case said that you cannot have a, a public school which is given some specific sort of faith-based ethos. Um, but again, there's another case, the uh, AB against the Pridwin Preparatory School, another uh, constitutional court case where they said that the obligations of independent schools are, are different and distinct, perhaps, from those borne by public schools. And, it, and, and the Bill of Rights, which obviously does apply, you don't just lose the Bill of Rights uh, in the Constitution, but it may not apply to the same manner and the same extent as to public schools. So this is a very interesting case and one where we're joining for SA as a friend of the court. We're going to bring these matters to the court's attention, particularly the religious freedom matter freedom of association matters and obviously we're hoping that these will be persuasive to the judge as he comes to his decisions Michael just just in closing a a point of interest I I mean because I've got no clue how the court works I think I've asked this question in the past but 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 how does a case like this work over what period of time might it unravel is it an urgent case is it uh, not an urgent case does that make a difference is this going to be you know a judgment handed down in a week or does this take months or could this take even longer well this is a case in in the high court It, it wasn't an urgent application um and so it's just taking its sweet time when the case is heard in the high court the judge will probably reserve judgment, which means that he'll normally consider his judgment and write it up uh, thereafter. And you're never quite sure when that judgment's going to be released. When it is released, then obviously there's a whole appeal process. And that appeal process um, can be quite time consuming. It will almost certainly next level go to the Supreme Court of Appeal, the SCA in Bloemfontein. 
And thereafter, if the, it is further appealed, then it will go to the constitutional court. So these cases can take years. I mean, if you think of the Kualani case, which was a case initiated against uh, Kualani uh, under hate speech, hmm. that's literally 10 years and we're still waiting for the final judgment for the constitutional court. So th these things do filter through pretty slowly, um, depending upon the levels to which they may be appealed. Hmm. If people are interested to hear how this uh, case progresses or want to find out more about the advocacy work that you're doing regarding constitutional rights and religious freedom in South Africa, um, how can they access, um, how can they access FOISA as an organization? Well, the best place to go is to our website, uh, www.forsa.org.za. And you can certainly sign up and we would encourage people to sign up for our, our newsletter. It's not a spammy thing. It's usually quarterly, uh, gives you the highlights of the things that we're dealing with as well. It just gets delivered into your email box. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook, on Freedom of Religion Essay on Facebook. And there's always uh, many, many uh, interesting things going on. We exist to protect and promote our religious freedom rights uh, under the Constitution, under the law. And we need to be very vigilant as a watchdog uh, to ensure that these rights are both uh, protected and upheld and even promoted. Michael, thanks so much for chatting to us this morning. Definitely have learned a little bit more about how the wheels of justice, the cogs of justice turn in South Africa. Thanks for your time, brother. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. All the best. Thanks. Well, listeners, as you now begin to change gears and start to think about conflict, <laughs> conflict in your life, conflict in your business, conflict in your church, <laughs> conflict uh, on your way to the office as taxis uh, pull in front of you, <laughs> as you begin to talk about conflict, that is precisely what we're going to be talking about. Myself and Rocky Stevenson from Benoni Bible Church are going to be engaging on a biblical discussion about conflict, the causes of conflict and conflict resolution. Did ask if you would just pop a note onto Facebook uh, or via WhatsApp, Telegram or one of the other mechanisms that you might use just regarding conflict. would love to hear uh, from you. Uh, we do have a shout out from Lance Lawton who's listening in. So how's it Lance? Both Rocky and I uh, know Lance really well. He's the coordinator for the Baptist Northern Association. A regular listener um, has uh, just uh, popped onto uh, WhatsApp. Um, uh, the listener's name is, I'm going to tell you now, uh, Janine. Janine from Faith Baptist Church in Wittbank, a, a church which both Rocky and I have connections to, both knowing David as well as... That's on the spot now, man. Yes, I'll just put you on the spot there. Um, but uh, really great that you are listening in. Uh, David McCrum and I came to your house in June 2019, and you kindly took us to the airport. Uh, that's a shout-out from Neil Hunter uh, at Faith Baptist Church Whitbank. Uh, really great to hear from both of you guys. Uh, I see Gogo Hanna is uh, listening to you. Gogo Hanna is a member at Crystal Park Baptist Church. Really great to have you on, uh, Gogo Hanna, and a shout-out to you as well. Uh, there are a couple of other um, messages and notes uh, that have been coming through, and I'm sure more will come through as the conversation begins to warm up. But Maybe Rocky, you and I can get started and and just yeah. a, a, and just start talking uh, about conflict, uh, brother. Uh, is this an issue that you have had to face in your own personal Christian walk? Conflict? Of course, I think that is something that all of us have to face. If if you even married longer than probably two months, you've had to deal with some kind of a sinful conflict in your own heart or life. 
I thought it was an interesting segue, even with what Michael was sharing in regard to what you have as a Christian school and, and professing Christians within that school going to the courts. And the Bible speaks to these things. That's First Corinthians chapter 6 tells us that it's actually not for Christians to go to the world's courts when we have God's word and we have the local church. And so even there, you've got an example of sinful conflict that has reached a level of going to the courts to deal with it. And in reality, we see that even amongst Christians, many a times two professing Christians, a husband and a wife, who would end in divorce because of sinful conflict. In a Gallup poll, they brought out um, not too long ago in America, about 70% of divorces were ending because, or they ended the marriages as a result of not being able to deal with conflict. So this is huge. Mm. We deal with conflict all of the time. And my hypothesis, even in starting something like this, is that all sinful conflict has its starting point with conflict with God, mm. that it's a worship issue. Conflict with each other is often how we see this conflict, and it's in the home or the workplace or in the church or even in recent times under the government. And But it's simply symptomatic of a great God problem. And in ordinary results or the symptoms of that really just point to that problem with God but then that problem with God is seen in a love problem with each other whether that's between a husband and a wife or with parents and children or extended family even um, I'm sure that you deal with premarital counseling and deal with uh, in-laws mm. <laughs> at times Mark and you know there's there's often tensions and many a times that's as a result of this issue actually with God first and then with each other. So that's part of the thinking. Well, uh, let's just explore that and unpack that a little bit. Uh, the source of conflict really germinating and beginning with a with a conflict with God, a, a conflict with God's authority, a conflict with God's standard, a conflict with God's measure, um, a sinful response to God that then works itself out in in heated conflict with people around us which, with whatever relationships we might talk talk about so so let's just let's just start by just thinking through and and talking about this relationship that we have with god where where, where does conflict start why, why is there conflict with god in the first place um why does sin enter into that mm. relationship and we would have to go to the garden of eden mark as we think through where sinful conflict even began mm. you've got the deceiver coming to Adam and Eve and you've got him telling them did God really say and so our our main issue even with sinful conflict is an authority issue with God when mankind chose his own way instead of God's way by being obedient to God is the minute that sinful conflict even entered this world and what you see even with as a result of man actually blaming woman it's the woman you gave me, God, that caused me to sin. You see sinful conflict entering into marriage for the first time. When Adam first saw Eve, he was like, wow, man, <laughs> this is the way that it was meant to be. This is mm. who I was meant to have. This is this is woman. This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He's of me. We're going to be one together. Mm. But as soon as sin had entered the world, the woman you gave me God and the blame starts being given to God as opposed to even themselves and it really boils down to that desire that mankind has to have God's position 
to have God's authority. And so I would say that sinful conflict really shows an authority of God kind of an issue. And even so much so, and, and we would have heard this even in various church environments when we speak through this, and not to disagree that pride is the the major cause of our sin issue in the beginning, but more than that, it goes deeper than that. It goes to the fact that we have sought independence from God. We have sought to go our own way, and that's what sin is. It's missing the mark. It's going our own way, choosing what we want. And the scriptures teach us that, and in Proverbs 14:12, as well as Proverbs 16:25, it's exactly the same rendering of the verse. It says, there's a way that seems right in a man's eyes, but its end is the way of death. And what, was, what did we see in the Garden of Eden? Eat of this fruit and you will surely die. The wages of sin is death. And so mankind has chosen a way that is contrary to God's way, which has led to this kind of sinful conflict. And the conflict, first and foremost, is between man and God. And, and it needs to come to a point of being reconciled. And praise God that he has provided a way. He has given us the way, the truth, and the life that we are able to be made right with God. Yeah, just, uh, I mean, so much of what you say resonates with even what I've been thinking about through this week. I, I did marriage preparation classes with a, with a young couple that was due to get married, and we were talking about Genesis chapter 2 and, and just that relationship, that perfect relationship between man and woman before sin entered into the world, that God saw that it was not good for man to be alone, mm. um, and 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 a companion, a counterpart was found. You know, kind of companion angles, <laughs> two angles that come together to make a complete whole uh, was found. A, a person who literally completed Adam, uh, that that which was formerly not good uh, would be good, um, and that was this this woman that he had this beautiful relationship with, and then sin comes into the world. You know, Eve is deceived. Adam takes of the fruit and he eats. And through that one man, sin comes to all men. But after that, you have this relational conflict between man and God. Before that, we read that God comes in the cool of the evening and it calls out for Adam. Uh, just this idea of this close personal oneness relationship that we had with God, unhindered by any sin, unhindered by any of these willful, rebellious choices that we make. And yet, after sin, everything changes. When God curses the woman, uh, he says that I will put hostility between you and the woman. Okay, that's the cursing of the, the snake. But we, we have this hostility, this conflict uh, entering into the world. And then to the woman, that you your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. And just the, the entrance in, 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 into, into the relationships of man, of, of these conflict friction situations, and just then the spiraling out um, of the mess uh, in Genesis chapter 4, Cain killing Abel and, and just conflict am amassing up until eventually in Genesis chapter 6, God is grieved that he even created men because he, he looks into their hearts and they just they do not desire his glory. They do not desire um, they do not desire anything that God desires. They, they're going in their own willfully wicked ways. Mm -hmm. um, and then the world becomes a mess, and it's been a mess ever since, yes. hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we can just, I mean yeah. God says that in, in Genesis 6, you know, the thoughts and the inclinations of man's heart was just evil continually. Mm. And what we do need to realize, even as we deal with this topic, 
is that God has not left us alone when it comes to sinful conflict. He's given us his word. How can this be sorted out? It really is a gospel matter. And so you have a mankind issue in that we are born into sin, Mm. but God has provided a way for us. Mm. And the same way that he's provided for us, it's it's a wonderful thought on the gospel because we have chosen our own way. Mm. That's what caused us to be in this predicament in the first place, Mm. why we will not worship God as we ought to, because we've chosen our own way. We've chosen our independence. And God has given us a way that we can go back to being dependent on him. And that is the way of what Christ has done for us, the gospel message, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And so the Lord Jesus is God's way. And so how can this be sorted out? How could this big problem between us and God? And it's not just a once-off affair. We have this constant affair with self. And we constantly going back to this kind of a sinful conflict. We often listen to the same deceitfulness of the evil one. It really is a says who type of a problem because Satan would say to you, did God really say is God's way the real way that we can sort these things out? And a married couple might even begin to think, well, no, I've got to do this my way and my experience and my feelings and my emotions. And not to discount that we have feelings, emotions, experiences, but all of this must be subservient to God. So this is an authority issue. How can it be sorted out? Well, faith in God, which leads to a biblical repentance towards God. Reconciliation. We must be reconciled to God if we are to sort out this issue we have between God. It's first and foremost that kind of an issue. What is this kind of a repentance? Well, it's an acceptance of the one who did it for you. That's what this faithful repentance does, is it looks to God and says, your way is the right way, God. The way that I chose was the wrong way. I was going wrong. And so faith develops this repentance towards God that you then recognize your inability even to do it yourself or your own way, and it accepts God's way. And that's the starting point to actually dealing with sinful conflict is you must come to that point where you go, I can't trust me. I must trust God. I must come to his word. And God has not left us in the dark. His word is a light to our path and a lamp unto our feet. Glenn Williams on Facebook points out that technically God did not curse the woman or man, only the ground and the serpent, which uh, has me smiling because that is really a technical concept. I hadn't even thought of that, Glenn. You you have me smiling. I, I, I looked at verse 14, 16, and 17 and uh, saw that list. So the God said to the serpent, and he said to the woman, and he said to the man, but I'm going to go away and give that a little bit of thought uh, during the course of uh, next week. And, Glenn, maybe we have you on Radio Pulpit sometime and we can shoot and chat about uh, the curse of God um, and Genesis chapter 3, Glenn being a good friend of ours and a member of the Expositors Forum on the East Rand, a group of preachers that get together to talk about preaching. Nice to have you on, brother. Um, you know, Rocky, as you were talking, uh, I mean, just to just to recap, we really we're talking about conflict and and your point is that that conflict really starts with this greater conflict that we have between us and God and then you presented God's way for resolution um and God's way for resolution is Jesus Christ he is the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the father but through the son and when you said resolution i, w- I was thinking of another r 
And that's just wrapped up in the gospel. We have this word reconciliation, the the idea that we are at enmity with one I think another. I mentioned uh, reconciliation, not uh, resolution. Uh, okay. okay. You well, yeah, that, that 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 we need to be reconciled. That we yes. need to be brought Indeed. together. Indeed. Um, and and our good works don't bring us close to God. In actual fact, our good works are worthless. Um, before God, they are valueless. They they um, God is so far above us, holy, 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 that that He standard exceeds even even our best works nothing can cover our sin except for jesus christ alone and in christ we can actually receive reconciliation with god the 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 conflict the war between god and man can be declared peace uh, the it peace can, of god can, we can experience indeed. that and um, just that that that, that this conflict we doesn't great, have great to, sinners but we have a great savior yes that this conflict doesn't have to rage between mm. god and us uh, eternally that there can be reconciliation yep. and resolution just, and, and, a, and a tremendously humbling thought as well mark is that we deserve separation from God mm. based on our sin mm. not just that we were born as sinners but we have willfully sinned against God yet to actually come back into that right relationship with God we must accept heaven's greatest treasure I mean what what marvelous love is that that instead of God giving us the punishment that we deserve he gives us this free gift of his son the Lord Jesus Christ, mm. who came not as an avatar or in some separate way or some Zoom conference. He came in an incarnational way to be born in the likeness of man and went to the cross. And notice what the Lord Jesus does. He combats our disobedience with his obedience. He goes all the way to the cross, obeying the Father. And so he makes the way possible for us to come back to God. We don't deserve that, <laughs> not at all. And that's a humbling thought. We have pride, which is part of this major fuel of sinful conflict, and part of the humility that we as Christians are able to deal with even conflict in our own lives, within our homes, with our children, in the church, is to first humbly admit that we do not deserve anything less than the deepest, darkest hell away from God because of our sin against him. And from that angle of humility, able to then start dealing with each other. So that speaks to the fact that we must be born again. But Christians still sin. Mm. <laughs> and so we still invite sinful conflict at times, maybe sometimes unknowingly. Other times we do it very knowingly. And again, repentance must happen in regard to our relationship with God. And that's how that reconciliation works between us and God there must be a repentance that is fueled by a biblical faith and that biblical faith is resting in God's way it's resting in I'm not that way I can't go my way I must have God be the authority here and the moment that we recognize God as the authority is the moment that sinful conflict dies a natural death even if you think of the school and um, this Christian school professing Christian parents when God's word becomes the authority they're able to sit down around a table and be able to dig into God's word many a times we don't understand God's word as we ought to that's a problem with us that's not a problem with God's word his word is sufficient for us and it's sufficient to deal with that issue before even taking it to human courts and so that is the the number one area that I would want to point out to the listener this this morning is 
Where's your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Where's your relationship with God the Father? Many a times the sinful conflict, and maybe you've got a sinful conflict that has continued in your life. Maybe you're at enmity with your husband or your wife often. Maybe you're at enmity with with the church leaders. Maybe there's enmity in different areas in your life. If your life can be categorized more by conflict and by controversy than what it can by godly contentment, there's most likely an issue with your worship and an issue with your relationship with the Lord God. Actually, just, just say that again, Rocky, because I think that is that is so important because it gives us the opportunity to be introspective. It gives us the opportunity just to, just to for a moment anyway, think about where we're at. I, you know, just as a, as a culture, as a people, we spend so much time rushing from one moment in our lives to the next, always seeking to fill up all of our time with all kinds of, uh, all kinds of mechanisms. Um, but but just as a as an opportunity to reflect even for a moment you said something to the effect of um if we're in a certain state it might point to a a, a reality can you just kind of flesh well, Mark, that out? i think that if we if if you have been a christian for a number of years mm. and you could look at your life over this past year or even over the past few years and your life can be marked by controversy and by conflict and you've got various conflicts that are waging on all different places. And I'm not saying that there's, I mean, we're gonna, we can talk about a bit regarding the fact that disagreement is not unbiblical. We're going to have disagreements. Mm. You know, you're not going to be at peace with everybody. And I'm in particular talking about the relationship that you have with other professing Christians. We, we play by the same rules. We go to God's word and we say God's word is the final authority. And so if you've got conflict between you and other professing Christians within your local church or even within your home, you've got to wonder to yourself, what is your heart like before the Lord? And if you if you now no longer peace pursuing, but you're actually more concerned about being right, I think that's another good indication for us. God himself is not most concerned about us being right. He, he's most concerned about us being holy. He's most concerned about us walking rightly before God. God already knows we're not right in and of ourselves. It's only his son that pleases him. We must have his way if we're going to please God. And so there are times where you've got to be okay with with actually stepping back even when you are right. That's what we commanded in the scriptures. How are we to love even our enemies? How are we to live with each other? We're to bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another as God has forgiven you. And this is part of where we're heading as well. So the first element I'd want to really point out is that relationship between us and God and that reconciliation that must take place because of the redemption that God has given us through the Lord Jesus Christ. When we are committed to the Lordship of Christ, it makes the world of difference. It makes the world of difference. So what are some of the causes of conflict? I I mean, you've already alluded to the truth that sin isn't the only cause of conflict. What what are some of the reasons why we experience so much conflict in this world? And and that would really lead me into that second element, that this first element of having an authority problem with God, Mm. because it really, our sinful conflict can easily be sorted out when we turn to God's word. I'm not saying easily to make it a lighthearted thing. But if we could just sit around a table and actually go to God's word and apply God's word, but come on, Rocky, it makes you, a huge, huge difference. You've sat at tables with people where 
there are two Bibles open and yet conflict exists in the room. Or you've been, you know, uh, gone to the shops and, you know, been shortchanged or not even shortchanged. The person stands too close to you and conflict exists. Uh, kind of, rela- it, it seems to me as if conflict abounds in our it lives. Does. It does. And, it, and, it's, and it's not always... Um, yeah, yeah, and it has a number of different sources. What, what are what are some of the kinds of yes. sources maybe that you've experienced? And, and this is very much the second problem, which stems from that first, and that is a love problem yes. for one another. Yes, there's a major love problem. Okay, and this is the reason that we have conflict abounding in so many circumstances. Yeah, we are so in love with ourselves. Yeah, and not in love with God or loving one another. Yes, and so this then boils over in so many different ways there's a selfishness that we have we have self-love which is demonstrated by selfish actions Mm. selfish words selfish thoughts we even buy our products and we have advertisement that is that basically just feeds self come on you're worth it really (laughs) Who, who are we here and who are we here to actually worship who are we to give worth to it's God. That's the reason we were created. But we now are the ones that are worth it. And so disagreement is not sinful because we will have disagreements. Mm. And there's there's various ways that we would disagree. We have different ways that we think through things. We've got different backgrounds. We, you know, you're, you're a, a man and your wife is a woman. There's just their biological differences that we have. And God knows that we're different. He made us different for his purposes. Mm. He wants us to be different so that in our diversity, even within a local church, we have so many different people, so many mm. different backgrounds, so many different. And God yet still calls on us to pursue peaceful harmony. Mm. That's part of the purpose of why we were created is to have peaceful harmony. And we'll get to that purpose a little bit later if we have the time for that. But it becomes sinful. Mm. Disagreement becomes sinful the moment that you inject it with selfishness. When it receives that kind of vaccination, mm. <laughs> it becomes sinful conflict. So, so I guess what what we're saying is, I mean, I mean, two members in a local church, for instance, might differ on the color of the walls. You know, one wants to go with luminous pink, and the other wants to go with. I, I don't know. I'm not very good on colors. Seashell white. I don't know if that is a color. It sounds more brown as I think about it now. Um, but but maybe two valid preferences. Um, you know, it's it's hard to distinguish um, a rightness between two prefer- preferences regarding color, mm. and yet that difference of opinion can de-escalate, no that's the wrong word, can escalate into conflict of course. when when a selfish desire for um, yes. preeminence starts mm. to exist. Although, let's face it, we don't want our churches to be painted luminous pink well, anytime well, Mark, soon. You're not, you're not speaking different to what we've experienced and even live examples of this. I mean, there's a Baptist church in the United States somewhere which is called No Peg Baptist Church because they used to be part of one church where and it was during the time of hat wearing and the pastor went up and he would put his hat down and uh, eventually one of the members thought well let me put a peg in the wall because we want to be able to serve our pastor and he can put his hat down on the peg that's in the wall and it caused such a rift in the church that a new church was planted in that same neighborhood called no peg baptist church and so this is it, it might seem trivial but the reality is the moment that you inject selfishness into any form of disagreement yeah you then have sinful conflict yes which we can de-escalate by the gospel oh, and uh, by humility 
I was listening to uh, to a podcast yesterday or the day before, and um, they, they were having a com- conversation actually about churches and about conflict in churches. And wh- one of the statements, and it was an American American um, podcast, but one of the statements that they made is, as soon as you see Harmony Baptist Church, <laughs> you know that that was caused because of a rift and division or kind of like fellowship. And bat- then you better <laughs> not join it because it will lose its <laughs> harmony, right? It probably has one member. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Because there's just no difference anymore. So, but, so, 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 difference not being sinful can escalate into conflict, which is sinful. When we inject selfishness into it, when we inject our it. own pride, and, our own selfishness. And here's where we see this in a very practical way: mm. the moment that you believe you deserve better is the starting point of self-love. Okay, it's the starting point. I deserve better than the way that you've treated me. I deserve to have the wall. The seashell brown like Mark said it should be. Hey, seashell brown is a valid ca- color and I'm not talking about any any particular um, church uh, decision committee that I've heard <laughs> of in the past that wanted to go with uh, seashell brown. I'm just looking at the time, Rocky, and we've got about three minutes until the hour. So we've got a, a little bit of time until 10 o'clock. But, but as we kind of conversing around conflict um, and around disagreement, uh, m- maybe let's just talk about or just list one or two passages of scripture where we see uh, this kind of conflict or these kinds of disagreements happening between believers. A, a, a most wonderful passage to look at is James chapter 4, verse mm. 1 to 10. Yeah. And I can read that to the listener this morning, and you'll see how this comes to to play inside of a passage like this, because James goes to the same place as what we've been speaking about this morning. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have, because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive, because you ask wrongly, to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know? Do you notice where where James goes here? To adultery, a worship issue. You've got an issue with God. That's why you're having this issue with each other. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? What is James saying here? You've, you've actually started having friendship with the world. That's why you're quarreling with each other. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, He, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. And here's the hope that comes to us. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. I think that's probably the three minutes, right? Well, that was a that was a good segue, brother, into a musical interlude. We will, at this stage, be listening to "Nothing Is Impossible," and we will join you back uh, at the uh, at the end. Well, listener, I can't believe that we are in the second hour already. Time has really been flying, Rocky. I've I've enjoyed the conversation so far as we have been talking about conflict. Uh, as we have been talking about the reasons why we have conflict, I mean, just to give a, a brief recap, we we really discussed this truth 
that we have conflict in our lives, in our relationships, in our churches, in our marriages, uh, with our friends, with our family. We have these conflicts because ultimately there's this greater conflict between man and God, this, this vertical conflict, even before we start talking about the horizontal conflict. And again, to recap, um, you really brought out that this, this vertical conflict between man and God is an authority. It's a matter of authority. It's a matter of us desiring to upsurp, us desiring to undermine the authority of God over us um, due to pride and due to sinful rebellion. But then symptomatically, that then spills out and just changes and affects all of creation, <laughs> all of life, everywhere that we live. And, and so um, it, it affects the way that we love the people around us. And so you spoke um, around uh, issues of selfishness. You spoke around issues of how, how even disagreement, even preference issues get escalated uh, into the area of conflict because of our desire really to worship our ourselves rather than to worship God. If you're listening in and maybe you've just joined us now, we do want to invite you to join the conversation in this last hour. Um, so as we speak, do get involved and send through questions or comments you might have for either Rocky or myself. You can do that on Facebook. The Facebook page is Radio Pulpit, uh, Radio Console. You can do that on Twitter. The handle is at 657AM. You can do that on WhatsApp and on Telegram. And the telephone number is 082 657 2729. We really are looking forward uh, to interacting with you. A number of people have uh, given shout outs and said hi uh, as we have been speaking this morning, uh, including Grace Mayorka. Uh, so hi to you, Grace. And it just came Rocky. to me as Pastor Clive that is at um, Pastor Clive. At did uh, I, Faith Baptist. I might have said, so did, I say, did I say Clive or Craig? Or I'm did I just sure. leave I it as a blank? I just left it as a blank and then Clive, put me on the spot. <laughs> Clive, so if, if Clive is listening, well, you, shout you out have, to you. You have regular listeners that uh, tune into the show and uh, it's great to have a relationship with you out there in Vitbank. Mm. Yeah, brother, so uh, let's so pick Mark, up the conversation. Yeah, picking it up again, just reminding the listener that there's first and foremost a, an issue between us and God and yes. that sinful conflict between him and that yes. must be dealt with through reconciliation which looks like faith that a biblical faith that drives a biblical repentance towards God and that's how that reconciliation happens and where we recognize God has provided a way which is his way and I can't go my own way to make myself right before myself and God mm. so we must come to a gospel kind of an answer regarding that but often sinful conflict and even within Christian families and in Christian churches comes about because of a love problem which is seen by that selfishness and injecting of selfishness into um, even some of the differences I do want to say that that some conflict is quite unavoidable because you might be truly following God's word and others aren't following God's word Exa so, example of that would be in the book of Galatians when Paul confronts Peter to his face regarding um, him not sitting with the Gentiles because ultimately it becomes a gospel issue. Oh yes, there was a sinful issue. Yes. There was a preference issue or even a partiality issue from Peter. But what we see the cure of that being is that there was again reconciliation between Peter and God recognizing his sin. And yes. that's a good example because yeah. he repented of yes. that. Now, it may have been that he doesn't repent. And we see examples of that in Second Timothy, for example. There's some men that had deviated from Paul. And he says, well, you know, I've, I've handed them over to Satan that they might learn not to blaspheme. And so you have examples of that where sinful conflict actually 
now is no longer on the, the Apostle Paul's plate, but you've got to make a divide, and we'll touch on that maybe in, in a little while. But this self-love problem also needs to be dealt with through reconciliation, and what does that look like? Well, that looks like forgiveness. It's different to a degree than the first aspect. There's also a repentance, and that must happen. Even David, when he had sinned against Bathsheba, Psalm 51, against you and you alone have I sinned, O God. There was lots of sin that David did against other people. Mm. But the reality is that all of those other people were really in the same position before God as what David was regarding them being sinners as well. And they didn't deserve, and I want to get back to that deserving better because many times when we think we deserve better is part of the problem and why it brings this sinful conflict but David recognized his sin the actual sin was against God and God alone and so there's that that happens there but it looks like forgiveness with one another and we forgive one another with the same forgiveness that we ourselves have received that's the cure to this love problem where it becomes sinful conflict between you and another person between you and a group of persons wherever there's sinful conflict there must be that kind of a forgiveness and what what kind of a forgiveness again the kind of forgiveness that you have received and been dealt with by God forgiving like God has forgiven you recognizing he dealt with this major issue of conflict if he dealt with that Surely he can deal with the conflict that you have with your wife or with your husband or with your children. Surely he's big enough to do that. He's dealt with the biggest problem you ever had, and your biggest problem wasn't your sin. The sin was the symptom of the biggest problem. Your problem was with God. Your problem was with a relationship with God. And he dealt with that through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who took on sin for you. So this forgiveness towards each other is based on this humbling reality that God hasn't given you what you deserved, which was hell. He's given you his greatest gift, his son. He's given you much mercy, much grace. How then can you hold against your brother or your sister? You know, beat them up on the wall, say, pay back your debt that you owe me. Surely. Yeah. Yeah, so, so as I'm kind of digesting and thinking through what you're saying and bringing scripture to what you're saying, we have this overarching conflict of relationship with God. We need reconciliation. We put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ and we are reconciled. Um, but in truth, sin isn't, whilst it is taken care of positionally before God, um, there's this this process of yes. progressive sanctification, progressively and being made holy. the Christian must repent and continue to repent. Okay, and, con- and and that that continual repentance is is really um, a continual restoration and flourishing of relationship between us and God, and um, between us and and God who we now serve, and God to be able to relationship live we have to- in peaceful harmony. That's God's purpose for us: peaceful harmony. But let's say let's say now I, I have wronged you uh, in whatever way I, I've 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 wronged you, and and this becomes conflict between between Rocky and Mark. How does this mechanism how does how does what we've spoken about up to now, how does that get used in order to reconcile our relationship? Because up until now we've been talking about the reconciliation of the relationship between us and God and repentance, confession of sin, um, faith and trust in Jesus Christ and and, and how yes. that removes even guilt. 
But now, now, how do I restore this relationship? How does that work? So, if we are both submitting ourselves to the authority of God, mm. we will both then be turning towards God's word, and mm. we'll be saying, God's word is the way. We're, we're not the way of this. I don't, I can't lord it over you that you wrong me, but God's word speaks to these things. Matthew 18 is a very clear example of this. When your brother has sinned against you, go to your brother. The major issue of going in Matthew 18 to your brother when he's sinned against you is actually the fact that he's sinned against God by sinning against you. So even when there's an offense that that I have with you, there's actually a greater offense at play. There's a problem that you have with God. And out of love for my brother, I need to approach my brother wanting him to have a right relationship with God, which then will lead to a right relationship with me. So even when there's conflict between two people, my ultimate desire and motivation in terms of having this conflict resolved isn't so that I might be in a better place or that you you and I might be able to whistle uh, in the same tune. It's ultimately because my desire is to see your relationship with God unhindered. And I can see that that this conflict is causing a hindering of relationship. Indeed, and and again, it goes to an authority problem. And, And it does, even on a personal level, to an authority problem, because the minute that one is trying to take authority over the other, you do this my way, or it's the highway, Mark. You do it my way because I deserve better. The moment that that selfishness is injected there, and we've got that sinful conflict, we actually having a problem with going to God and going to his authority over the this um, heart love problem. See, w- when we are at peace with God, this is the, the major point, I'd guess. When we are at peace with God, we're able to, and that's only when we're able to live at peace with each other. You, you can't actually have a sinful conflict when one of those two individuals is at peace with God. It, it, it just dies a natural death. I mean, one person might still remain unforgiving. They might remain bitter. They might remain, they might say a whole lot of things about you behind your back. They might do a whole lot of other things. But if you're at peace with God and your relationship with God is right, you're going to be praying for that brother. You're going to be hoping that that brother comes to his senses in many respects. You're going to be dealing with him gently. You're not going to be forcing your opinion. You're going to deal with that person very differently. And and that is part of it, and and it's a worship matter that we get into. And so I want to I want to give us as well dealing with the sinful conflict and and one another can then get us back to God's purpose, because this is an authority issue with God's authority. But when we have a problem with God's authority, we're not listening to what God is saying we're supposed to be doing as human beings. So there's a purpose problem now. The, the, and it's a different problem than the authority problem with God and the problem with each other. But now we actually start living life pretty much feeling like we've lost our purpose because we're not listening to what God is telling us is our purpose. And he's given us purpose in two ways as Christians. There's one purpose that he's given us just as the fact that you're a human being, the fact that you were made in his image. And that's the creation purpose. Well, what is that? Genesis one twenty eight, And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So a creation purpose, but then more importantly than a creation purpose, and I'll I'll stop in a moment because this is not preaching. Another purpose is in recreation. The Christian has been recreated after the image of Christ. 
And that's where real purpose is found, not just in being a human being, but being in a, a, a born again human being. And that leads us towards this whole thing that we're talking about regarding reconciliation. It is central to your purpose as a human being. So when we're talking about sinful conflict, that really puts us at enmity with what God's major purpose is for you as a Christian, which is this ministry of reconciliation. We go to the world with the answer and we say to the world, God has made a way. Mm. He's given you Jesus Christ. You've got all of this stuff happening. Sorry, listener. That's me uh, talking with my hands and hitting the, the microphone. But but we go to the world and we say, we've got the answer. We've got Jesus Christ. You've got all of this conflict happening between you and God, between you and each other. It's like you don't have peace. And the world really does want peace. They really do. They have a longing. But sadly, they filled that longing with a lot of lies. And they filled it with lies from the evil one and various things from the world and and that's what James even says, you know, you're loving the world now. You're not loving God here. So the second purpose there is in, in recreation, and that would be Second Corinthians 5, verse 17 to 21. No, I, I, obviously that, uh, that phrase, uh, ministers of reconciliation, uh, a ministry of reconciliation is gospel-rich and Pauline-saturated. Um, uh, this idea that that in actual fact we go to the world with the answer and we go to our our human relationships with an answer to the conflict that we have not only with God but also this conflict that is then symptomatically played out with one another as we lack love and as we don't come under the authority of God's word how how does that how does that practically work out for instance in a in a marriage relationship where there's currently deep rooted difficult conflict between a husband and a wife what does that look what is being a minister of reconciliation and having this wonderful answer um, uh, in one's mind how does it work out in terms of speech and conduct uh, in that marriage so so we would need to look at is there only one person in that marriage that is under that is born again etc but we'll touch on that as well but we are peace bringers as Christians because we have the Prince of Peace and so you're bringing him into your marriage. You're submitting yourself under the lordship of Christ. And we even preach peace to the world. We have this ministry of reconciliation. And I do want to again say to the listener, go read Second Corinthians 5, verse 17 to 21, because that is such a critical passage for this. And actually, let me read it to you quickly, because it speaks to this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ, notice this, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is your grand purpose. If you're thinking about the Great Commission, it's part of this. This is one of the reasons that we do the Great Commission, is because we are ministers of reconciliation. That is, and he explains this in verse 19 of Second Corinthians 5, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. God has paid it all for us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. You're an ambassador for Christ as a Christian, inside of your home, in your marriage, with your children, in your church, in your workplace underneath the government 
We are ministers of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We're just like the speaker that you're listening to us speak to you about. That's what you are. You're just the speaker for God going, God's made a way. God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. You need to align with God's purpose. And God has made it possible for you to do this. We need to live to his glory. You can live to his glory. He's provided a way. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This this makes the world of difference. Be reconciled to God. You can only be reconciled to each other once you reconcile to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a wonderful passage. So when we are peacemakers, and we bring in the Prince of Peace to bear in our marriage and home, and I think this is getting more to your question, it, it plays out in the way that we behave toward God, toward man, and even toward creation. Even toward creation. God is in the business of bringing us back to where we went away from him at the Garden of Eden. That's what he's done through the wonderful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We sought our own independence, and God has brought us back to that place where we're dependent on him again, where we go, it's all about you. It's all about your glory. It's all about your way. So how does this look? And I think that was your question. And I'd suggest a few aspects here, and this is not an exhaustive list, but it looks like submission to the Lordship of Christ. That's what it looks like for the individual Christian. And let me say, even if you're in a home where a husband is not a believer or a wife is not a believer, you can still live this way to the submission of the Lord Jesus Christ and going to his word because that's how it looks. When you're in submission to the Lord Jesus, you go to his word about the decisions that you make, the way that you live, the things that you say start to be governed by this, the ways that you think are governed by this. This is submission to God and surrender to God inside of the home, inside of the church, inside of even underneath the government. Those three spheres of human interaction with each other, the home, the church, the government, all of this starts to be under submission then to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to give you a chance to speak. Well, uh, you know, as, a, as I'm listening, um, I recognize that, that these relationships that we have and our coming under the Lordship of Christ and living under the authority of Christ and, and being obedient to his word. Uh, and I, I think of um, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. How do we know that we know that we love him? We obey his commandments. Yes. We have to obey Christ's commandments. Um, some of the commands that he gives us, for example, through the Apostle Paul, is that we live with our wives with understanding. And the reason why we do that, the reason why that relationship is so important, is so that our prayers would not be hindered. Um, before God, I, I'm thinking of the man who goes to the to to give an an offering, a sacrifice at the temple, and and he's told, listen, yeah, if you've got a conflict, if you've got a a problem with your brother, rush out and do that first before you bring the sacrifice. And by implication, the truth is that our our sacrifices, our prayers, our relationship with God is hindered when we have this horizontal love conflict between our brothers and our sisters and so uh, yes uh, how do we how do we resolve that if I have to say back what you've just said 
uh, we need to come underneath the lordship of Christ and realize that 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 our relationship with God for that to be sound for that to have relational integrity um part of that dictates that we need to be ministers mm. of reconciliation precisely where God has put us um at the queue of the local spa in our car when we're driving to work and a taxi cuts us off uh, in our home as we play out our role as husband wife or child whatever that might be wherever God has placed us in whatever vocation of life we find ourselves in that moment we are to pursue ministry of reconciliation with the people that we're around that we might live to God's glory in that moment and that also looks like sacrificial living because mm. there God doesn't just call on us to put off the, the the old man and the flesh that would act in a selfish way or prideful way he also gives us so much to put on mm. and part of that putting on is sacrificial living if you're trying to combat the selfishness that would cause sinful conflict sacrificial living is one of the the key ways and the scriptures teach us about this well 1 peter chapter 3 exactly. that, I, that i just quoted yeah. from a, a husband is to live with ephesians chapter 6 with understanding a wife exactly. is to submit how does to this look husband. husbands towards their wives it's very practical for us and god gives us a whole realm of ways to practically live this out husband towards their wife love your wife as christ had loved the church what did Christ do for the church? He died for the church. He gave his life up for them. Mm. Now, many husbands will easily say, oh, well, put a gun against my head or against my wife's head. I'll take the bullet for her. But it's more than that. Are you willing to live for her in a Each sacrificial every way? Day. Every every day in a sacrificial way to her. And then wives. I mean, her, her major role that God has given her is toward the children and toward the home, toward her husband. First toward her husband and then toward her children. That's very sacrificial. I mean, we, we've got two little ones. That's very sacrificial. I said to my wife just the other day over breakfast, you know, I said to her, the greatest world change that you can bring is by raising these two young boys to love the Lord Jesus and to live underneath the authority of God. That's how we raise our children. We, we need to be reminded of this. Even Ephesians 6, in the way that children must obey their parents in the Lord for this is right. Even there, in the very basic element of disciplining our children and driving folly from their hearts through discipline. I won't go into the controversies here with that. But even that, it's fundamentally this. It's fundamentally live under the authority of God. And God has given you parents that are to be the authority over you. And you need to be able to obey your parents for this is right and it is good. And so sacrificial living. And then I would say not just the husbands towards wives, wives towards children, but the family towards others, mm. towards others. This even touches on your church attendance. This, this church, you, you are serving your brothers and sisters by obeying God's word in simple ways. When you just go to church and you say, God is worth it to me, and you're waking up early and you're getting dressed and you're putting on your clothes and you're running around and you're telling your child to put their shoe on and they're putting the other child's shoe on, they put their shoes on back to front, whatever the way it is, and you're going around and it's crazy in your home, but you're getting ready to go and worship the Lord on the Lord's day. Even that is sacrificial living. Hospitality. The, the, the Greek word is love of strangers. We think hospitality is only having the people over that you like. It's having all kinds of people over. It's the love of strangers, taking care of the widow and the orphan. We're called towards this kind of a sacrificial living. Mm. And, dear ones, when we love one another, that is the chief way that we do evangelism. The Bible says it. The world will know that you are my disciples by your love 
for one another. It's when we're sorting out this love issue. But then also, an, another very valid point when it comes to dealing with a sinful conflict is being brutal toward your own sin and very gentle toward somebody else's sin. And Jesus tells us this. He says, take the log out of your own eye before you're trying to take the speck out of your brother's. Or don't try and take out the speck from your brother's when you don't realize you've got this log in your own. If you've got self-righteousness instead of savior righteousness ruling over your life, you're you're a prime candidate for sinful conflict. Mm. When it's just you being right in and of yourself and your ways right, your feelings are right, your emotions, prime candidate for sinful conflict in your home, in the church, in whatever environment you're going to be in. You're going to be facing sinful conflict because you're going to be wanting to put yourself over everybody else. You, you, you spoke earlier about going to your brother that you see who has wronged you um, and we were we were talking about um, Christ's mechanisms for resolving conflict and even the escalation path that that might take. Um, we spoke earlier about that and I'm just thinking in terms of of just practically how this would look as we as we talk about conflict and we talk about these mechanisms for displaying love and for 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 coming under God's authority H- how would this work in a in a relationship and we've we've spoken about husbands and wives but now let, let's talk about between two friends you, you you see something in a friend's life that that is problematic um, uh, maybe he is the King James would use the word pugnacious or cantankerous or uh, he is a conflict seeker or there is particular conflict in his life right now. How do you go about your desire, your motive is that he would glorify God, he's a professing believer. How would you go about making that approach um, in love so as not to lord it over him but so as to glorify God in and through the resolution uh, of the conflict? I definitely think carefully in, yeah. in what you're explaining right there. there. There are times where sin does need to be dealt with, and I'm not saying that we don't deal with that sin, and we don't. We do need to come to God's word and let let God be the authority. is is very key. Don't just be engaging in that conversation because your feelings were hurt. Mm. There's something bigger than that, and so you've got to really care for your own. Um, walk before the Lord as you do this. The Bible even talks about those that are restoring others that are in sin and being very careful that you yourself don't fall into sin. It's it's more important that you don't sin than anything else. And sinful conflict has the potential of being like a cancerous growth that just is able to take over all elements of your life and cause you to be anxious or cause you to be angry and let the sun go down and not deal with your anger and bitterness. And So you've got to be very careful when you're dealing with any form of sin and when there is sinful conflict. If you're indeed dealing with a pugnacious individual, I think that, that you, you're going to be needing to tread very carefully. And the Bible does give us help towards that. If that pugnaciousness is leading towards divisiveness, we've got to stop using the word pugnacious. Uh, it, it is it is a good King James word, but but may, but a person who's just given to to anger and to conflict and to yeah, just just that kind of person. <laughs> I would say that you do need to love that person enough to really pray for them uh, individually as you as you think through a person like this, and most likely all of the listeners that are listening has somebody that has come to mind. They've got that person, that picture has come up, and they're going, this is the kind of person that Mark and Rocky are speaking about. Tag but them I would in say, the comments right now. Tag, I'm just tag kidding. Them, you know, <laughs> hashtag this individual. Um, 
no, I would say you've got to be very gentle about that person. You've got to be praying for that person. You've mm. got to be careful that you don't sin against God by gossiping about that person, trying to make other people see that person in the same bad light that you see them in. And, you and know, this Ro- is where we must be very careful. Rocky, you, you've used that word gentle a couple of times now in terms of our response to, to dealing with a brother. And I, I just want to highlight that gentleness is not ignoring it's not overlooking an offense gentleness is how you actually go about dealing with an offense it's how you go about actually having the conversation so too often we 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 tend to err on one of two extremes either we think that it's gentle to just ignore whatever conflict is in our lives and hopefully it'll go away and invariably it doesn't it just gets worse and it festers and it becomes problematic the other extreme that we go to is that rather than than ignore we do confront but when we confront we confront in anger and we confront with so much heat rather than light we bring so much heat to the table that it ends up actually exacerbating it ends up making the conflict even even greater and more pro- mm. problematic and the, that idea of gentleness really we see it in our savior we see it in jesus christ um resolve even resolve to go to the cross resolve to speak truth to power whether it be herod or whether it be Pilate. um resolve to speak truth even to scribes and pharisees and yet knowing when to be gentle with a Samaritan woman at a well or a lady brought to him that was caught in adultery, knowing when to be gentle uh, and really when to when to bring power and force to a conversation and knowing and having the wisdom to distinguish between those two. But, um, I think what you're touching there is meekness. Meekness is power under control. Mm. I mean, there are different contexts and I, I don't know if we're going to be able to touch on all the different contents, but contexts, but when it's a husband dealing with a wife, you always deal with her gently. Mm. Always. Oh, you can say that again. Just underline that. That's when praiseworthy. I, when you're a husband dealing with a wife, you always deal gently. Mm. You know, but there are times where Jesus didn't deal, deal gently. He went into the temple with a weather, with a weather, with yeah. a leather whip yeah. and drove out the moneylenders that were there. And and so there are times indeed to really stand hard. But when you're dealing with a brother, and I think that's the emphasis here, mm. when you're dealing with a brother or a sister, somebody who themselves have submitted themselves to the to to Christ and his authority and his word, then we always ought to deal very gently with one another. And part of that would be even redeeming the time in the way that you deal with each other. We can sometimes spend so much time thinking through the sinful conflict and little time about the mission that we've been given, which mm, is I've towards been, reconciliation. I've been guilty of that so many times in my own Myself life. Myself as well. When, uh, when there's conflict between me and another person, I'll just spin through and work through all the different scenarios which have never happened <laughs> or, or, or imagine... And so worry takes over and other sins start even replacing some of that. Yes. We or, must be great commission focused, mm. even in our dealing with each other. How is this helping me to be a better ambassador for Christ? Should be a question. How is this helping that individual be a better ambassador for Christ? How is this playing out that ministry of reconciliation to the world that we are in? And we must recognize who the real enemy is. I think that's a very helpful tool as well. And and you, now I'll, I'll, I'll quote somebody very popular on Facebook, Mark Penrith. <laughs> <laughs> I um, uh, stalk you often. But you touched on this. I mean, maybe you can remind the listeners if you remember it better than me. But you talked about even when there is conflict between a brother um, and you sitting at a table together, maybe you can remind 
um, me and the listeners about something that you quoted there if they haven't seen it. Well, now I'm going to have to paraphrase myself because I, I can't remember like my own Very quote. memorable quote. <laughs> but it was something to the effect of, you know, when you're sitting opposite somebody who you are in conflict with, and I think I wrote it a couple of weeks ago, don't forget that the same spirit which animates you is in them. Uh, if it's a believer, if it's a brother or sister in Christ, the same spirit which animates you is in them. And the same desire to glorify God, and now I'm going beyond the quote because it was 120 characters uh, on Facebook. But the, 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 the same desire it's to okay, glorify… okay, when you invite a Baptist pastor to your <laughs> yes, show. exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, the same motivations that you have to glorify God even in the midst of of this this conflict that's happening or this disagreement that's happening exists in them as well and so uh, the reason why we extend charity is because we recognize that 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 ultimately we, we well, God willing, we're aiming for the same ends, even though we're differing in terms of right now, how are we going to get there? Um, and sometimes we can take the sting out of the conflict by just remembering that Jesus Christ is is in this brother. It's, it's why it's so important to understand this idea of being in Christ, that in Christ we are bound, we have unity, we have communion with Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. But in Christ we are also bound with one another, yeah. which means that, that sometimes the the pettiness of Christian conflict, um, the the disagreements that we have, um, we need to be very intentional in terms of how we go about resolving it. I haven't always done that well, and sometimes people have resolved conflict with me way better than I have with you, them. You mentioned three elements inside of that quote mm. that I want to just remind you Shit. of. You you haven't touched on it yet, but I've I've memorized these things in draw the original the, draw, language. Draw them out, brother. You you mentioned that we can trust Christ mm. and if Christ is in them we can trust Christ you also mentioned that we should trust ourselves a little less than mm. what we often trust ourselves mm. oftentimes we can think our way of thinking is better or we're better we're right we're and we actually can trust that brother across the table more than what we often trust them mm. because we start to notice how how relational sinful conflict is the, the relationship between God and us then the relationship between us and us uh, we start to actually draw aside from that person. We start to really not trust them very much mm. because the relationship is busy being broken down because of sinful conflict. Mm. And I think that was a very helpful uh, reminder. Even when I read that, I, I really enjoyed that, and that's why I remember it. But what I want to say regarding recognizing who the real enemy is, Christian, you must recognize that you have a very real enemy mm. who is hellbent. He's a defeated foe. Don't. You know, he's been defeated by Christ, but he's like an old injured lion who wants to fight back and he wants to destroy your happiness in Jesus. He wants to have you be joyless, hopeless and peaceless on this earth, which Christ has won for you at the cross. He's won that you ought to be the most joyful, mm. the most peaceful, the most hopeful. And he would destroy that. Satan comes to steal, kill destroy and he'll do that to your marriage he wants to do that to your marriage because part of your marriage is actually not about you as husband and wife it's so that you might raise godly offspring one of the greatest ways and if ever there's a time to have children christians have children adopt children we ought to be imp we ought to be imparting to them a christian godly worldview part of the issue that we've seen in a, in the world around us 
is a godless worldviews that are that are busy coming to the fore where god is just left out of the equation completely and not even spoken about and if you dare speak about him you get a court judgment against you so that you must be forced to apologize on a christian thing the devil is pleased by sinful conflict and he's pleased when sinful conflict exists in your life think for a moment dear listener if there's sinful conflict in your life and maybe those things are coming to the fore in your mind between you and your husband or your wife or your children or inside of the church is satan smiling have you put a, a smile on satan's face based on the way that you're dealing with some of the things in your life is there a disunity that's there that satan's going i'm so glad they're falling right into this one i've made them think that they're each other's enemy instead of me be the enemy they're not even thinking about my schemes or the ways that i'm trying to destroy them or the darts that i'm throwing they're not even they too busy to even lift up the shield of faith because they're busy fighting with each other i mean these ranks my word i'm, I'm able to split them up they can't even hold a shield wall together we must realize who the real enemy is and he would have us be so busy with these things that we don't even recognize that we have this great ministry of reconciliation you know as i'm as I'm listening to what you're saying, uh, my mind is actually caused caused to to go back to an event which happened, I don't know, 20 years ago, um, when well, one of I'm, my before I met you, before I met you when when one of my heroes fell, and and I remember his words as his head was in his hands, um, weeping, and he said something to the effect of, "This might not be a paraphrase, but the devil made me do it," and, and I remember, I remember how. How saddened I was to hear that at the time that somebody would blame their own fall from grace on on the devil, and yet at the same time we do have a foe who prowls around like a hungry lion waiting to devour us. It is right to to name him and to be aware of him and his schemes because they are very real. But also at the same time, I, I, I do fear that, that in the midst of conflict, when we have sinned, we don't get to point to Satan and say, just like Adam, you know, in the garden, the woman made me do it, that you gave me made me do it, or the woman, well, the serpent made me do it. We don't get to do that before a holy God. At some stage, we do actually have to come before yep. God yep. and and confess and repent like we spoke before uh, and then seek restoration and restoration of relationship or restitution of of what we have done uh, in terms of interrelationship uh, on the horizontal plane uh, with our and, brothers and, and, and sisters. And what you segue in is actually and you don't have my notes <clears throat> my notes in front of you but that's exactly the next element that I wanted to touch on is that there must be a genuine brokenness over sin. What does that look like? And the Christian never, ever stops repenting. Mm, mm. You know, where, where we recognize that it's our sin that put our Savior on the cross. And where we're genuinely broken about that. My fellow elder um, said this last week while leading the service at church. He said, when last did you shed a tear over your own sin? Mm. Sometimes we are so busy. and we, Calloused. We, we are calloused and we are so busy seeing the sin in others that we don't even shed a tear over the sinful ways that we live and the selfishness that so easily creeps in and maybe we were really burning hot for jesus when we were saved but it's grown cold and your love for him has grown cold and so therefore your love for each other will grow cold it's an obvious reaction to to something that has happened inside of you 
if you've stopped repenting, and, and you would see this even maybe in the last week or the last month, if you've stopped repenting and recognizing that there is that there's sin in you, you're, you're a ripe candidate for sinful conflict. You're not mm. even going to see the sinful conflict coming. You're going to be so much thinking that you're right the whole time 